Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some on the end of the pew handy. Uh, 1 Samuel, we're continuing our series and we're kind of at the halfway point or maybe slightly over the halfway point. Last week we looked at a, a couple, there's a couple of verses from chapter 13 and 14 and continued to see, especially the contrast between Jonathan Uh, The son of Saul with Saul that Jonathan stepped out in bold faith, trusting God uh, confidently to go and take on the the uh, enemies that the people were facing. And in in contrast, we've seen that Saul's kingship is basically a failure to launch. It, It just doesn't seem to be able to take off. And it is plagued primarily by Saul's propensity to pridefully. Uh, only trust in himself and therefore operate very fearfully because he doesn't have a strong confidence in God. We saw that in chapter 13 as he oversteps his bounds and takes upon himself some prerogatives that weren't really his to offer these sacrifices. And uh, Samuel had spoken to him, Samuel, Samuel, the prophet uh, of God at the time, had spoken to him about those matters and how that would uh, cause his kingship to be uh, shortened. And then as we turn today to chapter 15 now, we see... That uh, fall, that Saul is uh, once again failing to follow the commandment of God given through the prophet of God. And and the results are devastating, devastating, really, for Saul and his future as king. Uh, what perhaps will be most interesting to us, though, is the form that this takes, because as we watch Saul and as this passage unplays, if you're like me. You'll see yourself. And in particular, we see Saul doing the logical, frugal and spiritual thing. It looks like that's what he's doing. That's what he's seeking to do when, in fact, he's simply failing to follow God's revealed will. It's interesting that our our uh, confession of faith today, our catechism question, which, again, we plan these things out. I don't know how many months ahead of time. Fits perfectly with our passage today that God's you know, desire for us is to to obey his revealed will. Saul struggles greatly with that. And Samuel rebukes him for seeking particularly to sacrifice, to do something for God instead of just obeying what God says. And we all struggle with that as well. I invite you to read along with me then as I read uh, the entirety of chapter 15 of first Samuel. And I, I, I think you'll see much here for us to uh, to wrestle with and to ponder and to apply to our lives. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over the people of Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I've noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them at Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. 
And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep of the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Well, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel. Behold, he set up a monument to himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be to you, the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we've devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul said, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you to king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission, said, go devote to destruction, the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, as... The Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel returned Turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, uh, Saul did, I've sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of the people before Israel. Return to me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul And Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said to him, bring me here Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came 
to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah. Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let's pray together. Father God, we desire to have our attention focused in on your word. There's uh, this is a long passage and we're a people that are not accustomed uh, often to really digging deeply into the things uh, of your word. And so we ask that you give us focus and attention on what you desire to teach us from it today. Such a vital message for our lives to understand the importance of obeying and not simply sacrificing. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to see that. And be blessed to walk in that way as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, William Aramani served for 22 years as the president and CEO of the United Way of America. As you know, probably the United Way of America is an umbrella group that oversees numerous individual local chapters of the organization that seeks to benefit and invite people to sacrifice their resources and time and energy to give and to bless people around them. Aramoni was at the time he was leading this organization in the late 70s and 80s, considered one of the most respected and influential nonprofit leaders of his time. He even had a hand in creating a lot of the rules by which current nonprofits function right up to today to maintain their ethical standards. What a surprise then in 1992. When Aramoni resigned amidst allegations that he had siphoned off resources from the United Way into spinoff companies he had created in 1995, he was convicted on 25 felony counts and sentenced to seven years in prison for fraudulently diverting at least $1.2 million. The scandal was especially Memorable, given how he chose to spend a great deal of those funds. I'll tell you, truth is stranger than fiction, isn't it? He used a great amount of those resources to woo a young lady, Lori Villasor, who was only 17 years old when the 59-year-old ceremony began to court her. Notoriously, he spent $450,000 of the charity's money to purchase a lavish condo in New York. Another $78,000 was spent over a series of years having her chauffeured around New York. I won't go into the vacations and the other homes renovated. All of this scandalous, of course. Uh, as the testimony came out in the courtroom, come to find out this was actually regular practice for this gentleman. His lawyer in his defense claimed that there were medical reasons for his behavior. 
arguing that he was unable to control his crazy impulses because of a mental disorder. Indeed. Indeed. Well, you and I have a mental disorder as well, don't we? Maybe not to the extreme lengths that we read about with this gentleman. But we have a tendency, instead of coming to God and acknowledging to him where we've disobeyed and seeking him through faith and repentance and saying, I'm sorry, God, I want to receive your grace. Or better yet, simply obeying what he calls us to do because we know it's good and right because it's his revealed will. We tend to try to find ways to barter with God, don't we? To offer something up to him in sacrifice to kind of offset the areas of our life where we know maybe that we fall short. And we can only picture this ceremony, gentlemen, uh, imagining the, the great amount of resources that he's channeling and directing to all sorts of good and, and beneficial causes all throughout the United States, perhaps throughout the world. Feeling like, you know what, I do a lot of good stuff. I sacrifice to work for this organization, so it's okay if I do these other things on the side. Main idea then that we see and we see it laid out quite clearly with Saul in his role as the king of Israel. You can follow along if you want to make some notes. Uh, I don't know that there's an outline back there in the sermon notes section, but you can jot down this main idea if you want to. And it's just this. Since we cannot barter with God, we cannot barter with God. We should obey him when tempted to merely sacrifice for him. Since we can't barter with God, we should obey him when we're tempted to merely sacrifice for him or to him. Probably two thorny issues we kind of need to clear out of the way. So bear with me and then we'll get into some specific application. The first thorny issue in our passage today is how it is that we're supposed to understand the violent command that Saul is given. Okay, the main idea and takeaway of the passage is that we struggle to fully obey God and we try to placate him by offering some sort of sacrifice, whatever that is. And the struggle might be right off the bat for us as we read these verses. But wait a minute, he's going and slaughtering all these people. So let, let's let's back into that a little bit and, and try to understand that as best we can. We probably won't be able to unpack all of it. But in order for us to get the main point, we probably need to get first and foremost that Saul's commandment from God to uh, exhibit and pursue this slaughter was actually right and good. It was a right and good thing that God directed him to do that he should have done fully. Now, of course, we know we can understand that in modern times, there's no nation state like uh, although there is the nation state of Israel. There's no nation state like the Old Testament nation state of Israel. And though we've got a concept of the just war that we would apply today, we know that we don't always live that out perfectly. But we have an idea of how we're supposed to pursue that in a defensive posture generally. So that's helpful. But what's probably more important for us to grasp is that these Amalekite folks were not your friendly neighborhood people. They are not Mr. Rogers. They're, they're not warm and fuzzy folks. They're closer to ISIS 
than they were to Switzerland. Okay? Uh, as we read at the end of the passage, when Samuel is bringing out this final action of, uh, of God's justice and judgment, he says to Agag, he says, you've made a bunch of mothers childless. He's a ruthless killer. He's not a friendly person. He's not an innocent person. The people of God, of course, are not called to either to command, uh, to, to kill a carte blanche. We see that in the passage. And you notice the Kenites. We don't really know too much about these folks, but they're basically in the way. And Saul pauses as he's going on this big military advance. And, and he says, hey, our beef is not with you. So Saul at least gets that. It's a targeted call of God and judgment of God. And this commandment was only given in this place and time. And then lastly, probably part of our difficulty with this passage, too, is that we just forget that outside of Christ, what all of us deserve is God's judgment. And, and all of us receive, even with Christ, we receive death. We have eternal life through Christ, but we still face the consequences. So Saul was carrying this specific action out, commanded by God at this particular time and place. And if we struggle with some of that, boy, we, you know, we're probably going to have a struggle, too, with the whole New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing, because Jesus speaks words of judgment about not just temporal judgment, a, a loss of life in this life, but eternal judgment as well so that's the first thorny thing that at least we can get some perspective on hopefully through those comments i just made the second thing we see is this interesting statement in the in the verses you can turn there with me in verse 29 it specifically says that the glory of israel that's referring to god says he will not lie or have regret for he's not a man that he should have regret and yet at the beginning of the passage it speaks to the fact that God, you know, was disappointed, you could say, in the fact that he had called Saul to be king. And in the very last verse, verse 35, it says the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. How do we understand this? Is God confused or uncertain about what's going on? Well, the, the fact is that it helps us sometimes for God to use language that we can understand. And so the, the passage is reminding us, on the one hand, that God's not like a man in the same sense that he regrets. He doesn't like, oh, goodness, I made an error. I didn't know Saul was going to turn out to be this sort of deadbeat king. I should have, you know, should have re- reversed that whole process. He's, he's not working that way. But at the same time, God does experience, and the scriptures talk about in the New Testament, of, of grieving the Holy Spirit, how the things that we do sort of make God sad in that sense. And I think that's what it's trying to express here is just that God is disappointed with how things have turned out for Saul, even though we certainly can understand that God knew that things were going to turn out that way ahead of time. So two thorny issues, uh, somewhat tackled there, at least. Let's talk about the crux of the issue in the passage. If you look with me at verse uh, 21, it's interesting to see Saul's approach to this. He's defending his case before Samuel, and he's saying, actually, in verse 20, that he's obeyed the voice of the Lord. And that he's, in fact, gone on the mission. So he said, yeah, I am doing what I was told to do. And then he comes down to verse 21. He says, the people took the spoil. It was their fault. We've seen this already with Saul in several places. He loves the old, you know, psychology 101 projection. It's somebody else. You know, it's really him, but it's somebody else's fault and problem. So he's struggling once again 
to take responsibility. And it leads us to this first point, which I think is really important for us to consider. One that we really can't barter with God. You know, you look at these verses and you say, once again, kind of, what is the deal? Why is, is uh, Samuel so upset? You know, if a student in a class gets 80% on, on the test, that equals a B. It, it doesn't equal a, an incomplete for the class, and it doesn't equal getting expelled from school. So on first glance, we read this and we say, well, Saul got it 80% right. You know, he went and fought the people and he, you know, killed off a bunch of the animals and so forth. But he did keep the king, but he's 80 percent. Probably be more helpful for us to look at it this way, maybe through the lens of of marriage. If a uh, if a wife uh, is married to her husband, let's take a 10 year period and uh, and and she loves him deeply and committedly for an eight years out of that 10 year period. But for those other two years, she doesn't love him or pursue him at all. What's happened there? It's not just sort of an 80 percent thing. It's really a a collapse of the whole relationship. Something's internally wrong there. And this is the case with Saul. Saul's hope is that instead of recognizing he needs God's mercy and forgiveness, that he can he can barter with God. I'll give you something instead. I'll I'll give you some of these animals for sacrifice. It's even interesting, the verbiage that Saul and Samuel both use. Samuel keeps using a word that means destroy everything when he's talking to Saul. And Saul keeps talking back to him and using the word for a sacrifice when the people would bring the animal and they would give maybe 10 percent to the the priest or whoever. And then they would keep the rest of the animal for themselves. Saul keeps using that word and he's even trying to twist it in his own mind that way. Well, how does this all apply to you and to me today? A couple of application points. It's certainly our propensity to do this same thing, isn't it? When we disobey, when we kind of uh, do what we're not supposed to do, uh, sins of uh, commission, you might say, we, we kind of get in our mind, if I go to Bible study, if I show up at church, if I make a gift to the church or to a missionary, if I serve, if I, if I go on a mission trip, if I spend some time in a practice of ritual prayer, spend some time praying, that somehow that will kind of offset the wrong that I've done. Okay, so instead of saying, God, I just I just messed up and I, I need your grace and forgiveness. I know that only comes through Christ and his perfect love. And I want to turn and head in a different direction. Or instead of just asking God to give us strength to obey what he tells us to do and walking in that path. We like to sort of barter with God. I'll give you something. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my energy. I'll show up and do something spiritual. Uh, maybe maybe it's not a sin of commission. Maybe it, maybe it's something that's omitted. Maybe we fail to think and act fully, faithfully with our spouse. Okay? I won't ask for a show of hands, but just about all of us probably struggle with that. Maybe we fail to, to really uphold the good name of others around us, kind of to do that good thing and to speak well of those who are around us as much as we can. Maybe we fail to be generous when that opportunity arises. Maybe we fail just to share the gospel with other people around us. We're neglectful to love people in that way. 
Maybe we fail to really engage with God in our times of worship. You know, we come here and it's just sort of perfunctory. We're checking off a box. Maybe we fail to love others who look a little different, have a little skin color difference from us or come from a little different background ethnically or racially. And and so we think, well, I'll sacrifice, I'll do something to make up for that. And you know what the big problem with that is ultimately? What does it say about Jesus and his sacrifice for us? His sacrifice is supposed to be perfectly sufficient and indeed is perfectly sufficient for us. So when we say, God, I know I've fallen short, but now I'm going to give you this, this time, this energy, this gift, this whatever. We're basically saying Jesus's sacrifice doesn't quite cut it. And in essence, we're not finding our highest delight in Christ. We're not responding to God's generous grace. We're not sincerely believing God's commands are best for us. We're not ultimately honoring God. And so this passage reminds us. Uh, in a very focused way, as we see Saul, of this truth. And it's it's a long passage, a lot of verses we read today. Yeah, Fifth, whole chapter 15. That's a lot. You all did good staying through it. Here's the deal. If we can just take one morsel from this away and ponder it and think about how it applies to our lives. Verse 22 in the last part of it, it says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice to obey is better than. Than sacrifice. It was confusing for Saul. He had a hard time. He was mixed up about it and didn't quite get it. You and I are frequently the same way. And God invites us instead to say, you know, I don't know that I have the, the power or the wherewithal. Or there's these other things. For Saul, it was the popularity. He was worried about losing the popularity of the people around him. And, and he said, I, you know, I, I, I choose not. I'm just choosing not to obey God's commands fully. Maybe you feel like you don't have the power to do it. Maybe you're making, you and I are making a conscious decision to say, you know, I hear what God's word says in this area, but I don't care. I'm not going to listen to that. And, and, and that's... That's bad in itself, but what the passage is reminding us of is it's even worse when we think that somehow then we can fix that with the living God, with the Holy One of Israel is perfect in all of who he is by somehow bringing to him something of our fallen and broken selves. Samuel reminds us here the only way for us to have that restoration, the only way for us to to really relate to God is through the perfect work of his merciful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge of this passage today. It's a tough one uh, for us, Lord. We uh, confess readily that we are all guilty and susceptible of this. Father, I pray that we would remember that the gospel is... Uh, Not just a a message that extends to us your free grace and mercy, but it's a message that compels us, propels us to transformation. And Father, I confess in my own heart and life, I am very lax about pursuing obedience to you. And Lord, I want to round the edges and I want to trim off the corners and then I frequently want to find some way to settle matters with you other than recognizing I've fallen short, coming to you in sincere repentance. Oh, Father, let 
Let us not be like Saul with uh, his propensity for excuses. Let us not be like him and chasing the opinions of man and the perspectives of man. But let us, Lord, surrender to your good word for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.